Hello and welcome to the Kitco Roundtable. No Michael McRae this week, so I'm your host, Paul Harris. And I'm joined this week by George Salamis, President and CEO of Integra Resources. Hi, George. Um, let's start off. Please give us a one-liner about Integra Resources. Hi, Paul. Good morning. Uh, great to see you again, obviously, coming off of the BMO conference. So yeah, one-liner, Integra Resources, gold, silver, near-term developer focused on Idaho. Thank you. Um, now, the commodity markets continue to experience high volatility with gold and silver swinging, or gold swinging $100 to $50 up and down as the Ukraine-Russia conflict continues. And it's having broader knock-on impacts in the global economy, in the energy, metals, food, and other sectors. Russia, of course, is a top resource exporter with an oversized presence in nickel, PGM, oil and gas, as well as some key fertilizer commodities such as potash. Gold dipped under $1,900 per ounce earlier this week before recovering back towards 1950. Meanwhile, the LME's troubles continued with its nickel contract as the exchange imposed a 12% price move limit. Today, precious metals are down and base metals are up. George, what do you make of what is going on in the metals market at the moment? Yeah, also uh, specifically with respect to gold, I mean, the sector that I deal with and silver to a lesser extent. So you know, despite you know, this week's high degree of volatility, it felt like to me that gold was doing exactly what it should have done given this week's you know, news events. And um, I'm talking aside from this terrible war and Putin's heinous invasion of the Ukraine, focusing more specifically on the Fed's meeting this past week, which signaled the uh, really the first interest rate hike since uh, I think it was 2018. And uh, they also signaled that this was going to be the first of many designed to stem the tide of inflation. And by the way, good luck with that stemming the tide of this inf uh, inflationary period that we're in quickly, uh, I don't believe is achievable, but that's another story. We can talk about that another day. Gold reacted to this news. I think it reacted as it was supposed to, you know, we're seeing, um, Long positions uh, increasing in the uh, gold futures trading market, which kind of signals, yeah, there's a lot of speculative um, aspect to the way gold is trading right now. It's, it's certainly trading, just showing that in a, in a big way. And uh, kind of speaking of broader volatility in the market, man, I've never seen anything like this in terms of a volatile market where you have investment sector rotation um, occurring in daily increments as opposed to six to 12 month increments. It felt like we started the week off with tech is good, resources are bad by Tuesday, tech is bad, resources are good by Wednesday, you know, real estate's good, tech is bad. You know, this sort of daily sector rotation kind of feels to me that um, it's kind of like the investors are like a bunch of deer in the headlights uh, right now and don't know which way to run. That's certainly my feeling of what's going on right now. I think that's a, a fair description. You know, for myself, I see, you know, going into a meeting that the gold price is $50 up. So everybody's really buoyant and happy. You come out, it's, it's fallen quite a bit. So everybody's kind of, oh my God, here we go again. Yeah. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. There, a lot of that, a lot of that went on during the BMO conference, by the way. That was, uh, that was a hallmark of certainly our, a lot of our meetings. Okay. Well, I've got plenty more to discuss with you as we go on, George. But first, we'll do a news roundup. And before that, um, a word about our new sponsor. Golden Minerals is a gold-silver producer based in Idaho with plans to increase shareholder value through profitable production at its rodeo mine, expanding production to two mines in 2022 or 2023, and continued exploration success. The company holds control of around a dozen precious metals projects in Mexico, Argentina, and Nevada. 
Production of gold and silver at the company's Rodeo open pit mine in Durango State, Mexico, is expected to have generated between 10 and $11.5 million in net operating margin during 2021. Rodeo's cash may be used in part to finance a restart of production at the nearby silver gold Valadena properties, where the use of biooxidation technology is expected to achieve superior gold recovery from sulfide concentrates that would in turn support sustainable profitability for at least 10 years. Golden Minerals holds district-scale projects in Argentina and Mexico and continues to explore projects that present opportunities for eventual production and economic profitability. Its El Quivar is a district potential silver property with an earning agreement with Barrett Gold, meaning most costs are carried, while Golden retains upside potential. Golden Minerals' Yokivo project is a district potential gold and silver property where the first two drill programs discover new veins and revealed multiple veins with potentially economic silver gold grades. Once again, that is Golden Minerals, whose ticker is AUMN on the NICE American and TSX. To learn more, go to goldenminerals.com and we thank Golden Minerals for its support. Turning to the news now, um, for me, the weirdest bit of the news this week was that Highcroft Mining Holding announced a 56 million US dollar raise with precious metal bed. Highcroft Mining Holding announced a 56 million US dollar raise with precious metals investor Eric Sprott and AMC Entertainment Holdings, a nice company better known for owning a chain of cinemas. Highcroft has the Highcroft Gold and Silver Deposit in Nevada, which produced about 56,000 ounces of gold last year and 355,000 ounces of silver. It hosts some 40 million ounces of gold across all strat categories and around 600 million ounces of silver. And um, George, this was quite a weird one. You know, precious metals companies are crying out for new investors, but this uh, is a new investor right out of left field. What do you make of this? Yeah, interesting one. Um... For sure, knowing the, the history of that asset, which has been problematic, obviously, you know, from from its past iterations of production, um, you know, God bless the, the the GameStop Reddit movement for piling into that stock. You know, interesting thing. I think it, it it spoke to me in one way, which was the market for resource investment is so thin that when you get uh, two big players such as AMC and Eric Sprott piling into a stock like that. They are the market, they become the market for that stock um, and you get the momentum off of that. And that just kind of speaks to the fact that, you know, these two players alone could have that, that uh, significant of an effect on, on the, uh, the investment performance of that stock. Um, a bit of a head scratcher really, but you know, let's see, see how things pan out there. It has been a problematic asset, no question. Thank you, George. Another aspect of this deal that um, surprised me a little bit was that um, it was a private placement for units uh, with warrants, and the strike price of the warrants is lower than the unit price. Um, that's quite unusual, isn't it? It sure is. I've, I've rarely seen that in the past. Okay. Usually the, the warrants are a reward for investing over a period of time and uh, have a, a higher strike price, 20, 30, 50% higher than, the, than the, the raise price. Anyway, moving on. Sticking in Nevada, Kim Ross Gold is to invest 4 million Canadian to take a 9.9% .9 stake in Junior Allegiant Gold to accelerate the exploration and development of the east side property near its Round Mountain mine. Round Mountain is one of the largest open pit gold mines in the US and the continued extension of its life has perhaps taken on a new complexion now as a result of the war in Ukraine and Kinross's decision to suspend operation at its Kupo mine in Russia. 
Kinmos will participate in a technical advisory committee to advise on the exploration of Eastside. So it looks like um, Kinmos is lining up to take over uh, the, the, the company and the asset there at Eastside uh, and potentially um, getting ready to lose Coupol, George. Correct. Yeah. And in fact, that whole um, Coupol loss, if you will, was was happening in, during that conference that you and I attended a few weeks ago. And, and uh, it was very sad to see um, speaking to some of the, the Kinross executives about the the lost relationships that they had with with these people that they worked with at these great mines that they had or have still in Russia, technically. Um, these people that they worked with and and invested time and effort in 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 coaching and mentoring for a very long period of time was really sad for me to to hear about. Nobody likes to see that sort of thing happen. Uh, with respect to what just happened in Nevada, no surprise. Round Mountain is a flagship asset for them. No surprise that they that they are buying bits and pieces of juniors that surround that mine. Um, Nevada is Nevada is the place to be clearly from a permitting and, and expiration perspective. Thank you, George. Now, in Colombia, Collective Mining announced a discovery with its, with its first three driving drill holes at the Olympus Central Target at its Guayabalas uh, gold project in Caldas, with a highlight there of 302 meters, grading 1.1 grams per ton gold equivalent from near surface, with visible gold observed within a CBM vein. Uh, Olympus covers an area of about one and a quarter kilometers by 750 meters to date. And as a result of the new discovery, Collective plans to accelerate drilling and stepping out there. And um, George, most of your career you've been in, in North America. Have you uh, ever sort of looked at gold projects in uh, South America? I sure have, yeah. Sort of half of my career was spent um, either in Venezuela, Chile, a bit in Argentina, a little bit in Ecuador and Colombia. Uh, no surprise, you know, that that whopping asset came out of where it did. I mean, that's the I mean, that's that's elephant country down there. Uh, I don't know much about that that project per se, but uh, no surprise that it came out of that district with that style of geology. Okay, thank you, George. Now to sort of terminate the news this week, a couple of feel-good uh, pieces here. Uh, Newmont announced that the governments of Yukon and Canada, after consultation with Yukon First Nations, have jointly accepted the recommendation by the Yukon Environmental Socioeconomic Advisory Boards that it, the, its coffee project be allowed to proceed which means um, that coffee is another step closer to being a 200,000 ounce a year open pit heat bleach uh, operation. Um, and finally, Calibri Mining launched its first five-year sustainability strategy, including conformance to the responsible gold mining principles within the World Gold Council's three-year timeframe. During the first of semester um, next year, it will release its 2021 sustainability report. Uh, so Calibri is showing that a serious ESG commitment is for everyone and not just for the big guys. George, um, for, Intera, for sorry, Integra, ESG is very strong. So it must be very pleasing to see other sort of smaller size companies really pushing ahead in this way. Yeah, in, in terms of Calibri, I was, I was previously a director of that company. I know management really well. Not surprised uh, regarding their, their focus on, on ESG. Um, it was a, a big part for us that played a major role in this study, in, including some sustainable initiatives from a development perspective at Delamar uh, in this study was, was really key to the study, as people will see when we file the report um, in a week's time. Okay, thank you. Now, one bit of news I didn't mention is a certain company reporting its best ever drill hit from a certain someone on this podcast. George, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you hit at Sullivan Gulch and how important that is? Yeah, Paul, thanks. Uh, yes, indeed. 
our highest grades of gold and silver intersected on the project to date. Um, and, I'll, and I'll sort of roll the audience through what those look like, but really sort of some unreal exploration results that really get us back up and rolling from an exploration perspective after coming out of this long period of focus on a PFS study. Uh, really, these results were based off a theory that our exploration team had as to where some underlying high-grade vein system might lurk below this ore body, which is called Sullivan Gulch. And, um, you know, as we've demonstrated in the past, these low sulfidation epithermal systems, for the large extent, you know, are, are, are founded on this bulk tonnage, low-grade gold-silver systems. But really, sometimes at their core, at their root, there are some high-grade, what we call feeder systems that sit underneath them. And uh, this week's uh, intersects that we put out really were, were sort of proof of that concept. So now we have yet another high-grade target below Sullivan Gulch, in addition to what we've demonstrated at Florida Mountain. So, you know, some of these grades were spectacular. Um, 1,400 grams uh, silver over 0.46 meters. Uh, that same interval was 104.28 grams per ton gold. So really high grades. And, you know, there were other, you know, extremely high grades, 25.54 grams gold, um, 384 grams silver, 779 grams silver, that sort of thing. So it gives you a bit of a flavor of, uh, of the kind of high grades that we reported on this week. And uh, really for me, what that spelt was for those who think or believe that the PFS for us, for us was simply drawing a line in the sand and saying, well, that's all that there is here and we're gonna go on and develop it and, and it's gonna be very boring over the next three years. Well, quite to the contrary, you know, this just speaks to the upside potential of the project, which we'll keep hammering on over the, over the next couple of years here. Well, I think you're right, George. The timing couldn't have been better from that point of view. As you mentioned, you put out a pre-feasibility study on Delamar. Um, I think it was back in February for a bigger and better project than the one described in your preliminary economic assessment, although with a higher capex and opex. But you got a, a very lukewarm response to that from the market, and so I, I think the market was thinking that, yeah, okay, maybe that's all there is. But you're clearly showing that there's more to come. Um, why else do you think you, you perhaps got a, a lukewarm response to your PFS? Yeah, so the cost escalation in CapEx and, and, Op and OpEx was, was clearly sort of the top factor. Um, and yet, you know, in the investing public, specifically the retail crowd, were really surprised by the inflationary pressure that crept into the study, which was really puzzling to me. I mean, inflation is, is, an, is a daily headline now, as we've seen, but I'm puzzled as to why people were surprised by that. Um, you know, the inflation that we saw creep into the study, you know, things like earthworks, for example, up 65% uh, from the previous study period, steel up 30% from the previous uh, study period, concrete up 30%, labor up 25%. Some of the reagents that we were, um, had forecasted using in our study were fluctuating by as much as 300%, depending on the week where, you know, you were costing them. Yet, you know, despite that, we managed to present a study that shows a really strong production profile. Um, current gold silver prices, the NPV of this project is over $600 million. The IRR is 37%. It'll produce 163,000 ounces of gold equivalent per year. Really low cost, all in sustaining costs of 933 an ounce, you know, lowest quartile when benchmarked versus other projects. So very solid project despite inflation creeping into the study. And so what's not to love on, the, on, on this? Um, I, I think another, another factor of you know, what people were, were sort of questioning with respect to the study is I think 
wasn't just us. I think it applies to to many other issuers out there. Um, anyone or any issuer who's forecasting any capital needs, you know, even three or four 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 years out, is regarded as bad. Um, investors don't want to hear about capital needs that are that are potentially large, even three and four years out. They, all they want to hear about it feels like to me is expiration results. Don't spend money. Just show us the stake. Um, show us the sizzle sort of thing. So fair enough. I do believe that, you know, the time will come when investors will come around and ask the question, okay, great. Where are all these new mines going to come from? And the answer will be, well, there are very few new mines being built. Delamar is one of them. People will come around to this ultimately, Paul. Um, and while we do that, we'll continue to demonstrate expiration upside in the project. Uh, but yeah, those were the two top factors for sure that, that people were questioning. I have no doubt that Delamar is going to have uh, its day in the sun, and that's going to be a long, long day indeed. Now, uh, as you mentioned, George, we were both at the BMO Metals and Mining Conference a couple of weeks ago. Um, what reaction did you get to the PFS from the professional investors there and, and the corporates there that uh, you met with? Yeah, so we, we met with all of our major shareholders at the conference, and, and um, pretty much a few common themes amongst them all uh, was, you know, number one, you know, we, when I say we, the investors love the heap leach and the heap leach economics of Delamar, they're great. Um, we're not particularly crazy about the concept maybe of milling, the, the, the thought of financing big milling operations um, that are tough to permit and costly. Um, beg the question, do you have to build the mill to make this project profitable? And the answer is categorically not. Uh, no, we don't. Heap leach is an excellent project on its own. The fact is that you know the NPV five that I quoted earlier of six hundred million dollars, roughly about two thirds of that is driven by the heap leach alone. So the, the heap leach is the economic engine of this project. We don't have to build the mill. Um, we can kick that can down the road or not build it at all and still have a very economic project. So that's kind of the answer to that that we gave our shareholders. The other bit of feedback um, from our shareholders was in in line with this heap leach um, being you know, something that's really good as a big, strong economic engine, you know, where else can you find more oxide and transitional material that you can heap leach on the project? Show us where that is and, and we'll continue to follow you. And the answer is we know where that heap leach oxide potential is, and we're really going to go for it this year and next to expand on that. Um, I guess the other theme was we like high-grade gold. Um, who doesn't like high-grade <laughs> gold and silver, right? Um, so show us where you can find more of that demonstrated at Florida Mountain. Uh, we've just done it at Sullivan Gulch, so we'll continue to do this. Another really interesting thing here, Paul, that we heard from a number of our shareholders is, you know, they, the, the future mine to be built at Delamar looks great, looks financeable, assuming that you, you can get through the hurdles of permitting. Um, but, you know, has Integra as a company ever considered joining forces with other pre-development companies, um, you know, similar companies to Integra through consolidation means um, because a number of our shareholders view that consolidation would create a lower cost of capital uh, on a combined basis, a bigger scale, attract uh, a, a myriad of, of different bigger investors into, into the stories. I think that, I mean, what that plays to was a common theme that we heard at BMO. Um, we're tired of writing checks. We're tired of being the only check writers to not just Integra, but everybody else who's in pre-development mode. We need new money into this sector. And so what they're saying is by consolidating, creating a bigger company, perhaps you attract a bigger investor who can write checks alongside your existing uh, investors. And so there's a bit of fatigue out there. And last but not least, you know, permitting was 
was a, a big question. Um, you know, the U.S. is being viewed currently as a tough jurisdiction to permit in, and so demonstrate to us that that's not going to be the case at uh, at the Delmar project, and and uh, that's an easy score for us to uh, to pay for the next year. Thank you, George. I mean, it's an inter interesting concept to merge, you know, two or three pre-development companies uh, together. Um, how, how feasible is that? Do you think? I mean, is that something, for example, that uh, um, you would entertain? Well, it's, I would entertain and the board would entertain anything that's going to drive value um, for, for shareholders. There's no question about that. I would gladly step out of the way and, and let somebody sort of step into my shoes and run a combined company if they are the, the better person to do so. Uh, you know, that's, that's not, it's, it's frequently the egos that get in the way of these sort of combinations, mergers of equals consolidation. That's not the case for me personally. Um, do, do things like that make sense right now? I don't know. Um, I can see it from the, the investment perspective. They would rather own one company um, than three of these companies. So I, I, under, I do understand that. Um, yeah, it might make sense. I'd be interested to see how and if that plays out. Um, look, talking about, let, let's talk about other themes we picked up on at BMO. Um, personally, I got the feeling that investors are starting to relax on the, the capital discipline theme and starting to warm to the inorganic, go, uh, inorganic growth theme. Uh, what, what else did you pick up on there? Yeah, there was, it was a couple of things that really sort of were hammered home to me during that conference. You know, they, just to kind of sum it up, Basically, Paul, what what I'd uh, what I'd say is the theme of the conference is the world is completely focused on risk right now. There's no question about that. The world is also short of everything and and everything that we need to to kind of green the economies and 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 move into sort of the EV rev revolution. And uh, the last theme is everything in the world is currently expensive and about to get become more expensive. In other words, the supply is not there. The demand is, is still strong. So those, those are the kind of the major thematics, uh, I'd say, um, which kind of leads me to another point. And it's a point of frustration. And I've mentioned it on several other forums over the past week. There seems to be this, this notion of what I call nimbyism, not in my own, not in my backyard. I'm not gonna, I don't wanna develop these metals my backyard. I don't want to permit anything in my backyard. I'm going to leave that to the second and third world countries to do so. Yet I still want to green my economy. I still want to lead my country into an EV rev revolution. So really frustrating, um, especially in the context of the US and Canada, who have all of these metals, everything that they need uh, to support their objectives, you know, with respect to the EV rev revolution, clean tech, greening their economies, yet they don't want to permit anything in their own backyards. And, and, and this, this aspect um, I find of talking out of both sides of their mouths from a political perspective, I find very frustrating. It is, um, but maybe one of the things in a positive way that will come out of the Ukraine conflict is that people will have a greater understanding of where stuff comes from and how important it is to have stuff coming for them locally rather than from far away. Correct. Correct. Yeah, no, and, and it seems to be a theme. I mean, there have been a few examples of late in the US where, you know, uh, President Joe Biden says one thing about wanting to boost Americans, uh, America's um, independence with respect to securing uh, mineral and metal supply, yet 
you know, they're stopping projects in, in their tracks from getting developed elsewhere. And, it, and it's, it's frustrating to watch. Canada is, I feel, no different on that end. Well, don't get me started on that one, George. We could talk a long time about Joe Biden and copper projects. Uh, maybe that's a, a team for another one of these podcasts. Okay, let's turn to our number of the week. Uh, George, what, what's your number? What number? Well, so on that on that theme, Paul, I would say my number is three, and um, three projects of late that have been halted in the U.S. from a permitting perspective: Trilogy Metals. Uh, for for reasons that, uh, that I can't understand, a copper zinc gold project situated in Alaska um, halted in its tracks uh, from a permitting perspective. Perfect example of there's a project with all the metals that that America needs. Uh, twin metals, Antofagasta nickel copper project in Minnesota. Again, another base metal project providing U.S. with all the minerals that it uh, it, it could ever uh, use and want. Halted in its tracks. Third project, obviously a popular one, Rosemont Copper Project, again, Copper Project in Arizona, dealing with a serious uh, issue from a permanent perspective. So uh, my sad number, Paul, is the number three. Okay, thank you very much, George. I've got a, a much happier number. My number is nine. Today is my ninth wedding anniversary. So thank Ooh, you very much. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Anna, for another year together. Okay, that's the end of the podcast this week. You can follow me at Paul Harris Gold. George, how can people get hold of you? Uh, well, they can go to our website, schedule a, at integraresources.com, schedule a, uh, an interview with me, schedule a meeting with the, uh, the IR team or both, uh, all of our contact details. Well, thank you very much. Um, if you like what you hear, tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe. On behalf of George Salamis and myself, Paul Harris, have a great weekend.